But I wanted you to know what it was that I was. Uh, this is this is Mr. Graybeard. So, you know, I, I'm appalled that you folks haven't seen this Christian classic uh, by J.R.R. Tolkien um, called Lord of the Rings. Anyway, this is one of the this is one of the characters. Okay, now you know. You know, uh, just by way of kind of a quick introduction. That whole idea of the scarred and marred and damaged creation has evoked a couple of responses from people across the history. We'll get into the text in just a second. But the fact that creation is, um, is so marred um, has, um, has the respond, people have responded to it a couple of different ways. Um, I guess the, the, uh, the first one, oh my, okay. Just ignore the big, heavy guy in the blue shirt. Uh. <laughs> Is it on? Uh, I can use. Oh, look at there. <laughs> um, where was I when I was so abruptly uh, uh, and rudely interrupted? Um, uh, the responses to the, the marred creation uh, have led to a couple of responses, and we can't. Uh, did I hit the? Did I, I guess I did. Look at that. I'm supposed to use that. Um, One response has been asceticism. And asceticism, basically, uh, the the position of the ascetic was that uh, the the world is evil, so avoid it, run from it. The whole monastic movement was a result of seeing uh, what evil uh, the the creation contained and, and trying to insulate themselves from the, the, uh, the evil uh, that, that, that confronted them. The, the other um, was really the opposite. Really, this was a Christian response. Um, serious-minded religious people thought that, uh, you know, the only way to avoid being consumed by it was to avoid it, run from it, and, and hide in a monastery someplace. The other was uh, just the opposite of this. Uh, creation is evil, so avoid it. The other response was just a material or a material uh, materialism um, is basically that uh, the creation is everything. It's it's all we got. Everything that we all our we have to get everything from uh, this creation in which we live. And so you can see that the the the, uh, the opposite responses. The Christian response is that the, the creation is good. Creation is good, but it's been it's been marred. Um. And the, the, the mar has to do something with, with an alien, an alien that, that's a part of the creation that wasn't supposed to be a part of it. Um, the alien has scarred it. But it's not to be run from, nor is it to be worshipped. It is, it is a, a product of God's uh, creative fiat to be um, enjoyed and yet guarded from as well. So anyway, that's just kind of a, uh, an aside. Um, um, oh, y'all. It just doesn't work, George. It just, where, where's George? Uh, uh, okay. Um, oh, there we do this. <laughs> um, it's supposed to go away. Um, it, see, it's supposed to go away. What, what, what's, which one's the erase button? Oh, gosh. All right. Well, I wanted to save it, though, Dale. I wanted to move it on so I could... Okay, it's too late. (laughs) It's a flawed board. Um, All right, guys. 
The section that we're in is in really verses 18 through 25. Oh, gosh. Dog. That was my chance to change colors, too, and I blew it. Um, 18, uh, Romans 8, 18 to 25 is really Paul's description of a Christian's response to suffering. Um, okay? And, and I've told you there's, there's been two things that he has suggested. First of all, there has to be a Christian view of time. Uh, m- mentioned in verse 18, we've, we've already gone over this, guys, but I just wanted to, um, where he says, For I consider that the present sufferings of this present, the, the sufferings of this present time are not to be worthy. There is, um, there, there is a comparison that goes on between the, the sufferings of this present time with that which awaits us in eternity. In terms of responding to suffering, that's the first thing that we have to do. Is, is, is weigh the, 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 um, the, the the suffering of this present time with what has been promised to, and, and awaits us. The other part of his argument in this section, the other part of his argument is he uses creation and says, creation is groaning just like you are. But it is waiting, and you'll notice um, um, verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is marred, and it's waiting. It's waiting for a, con- a, 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 a consummation of the ages, I guess I'll call it. But, um, so if creation is marred, it groans because of the mar, and, and, but it is patiently waiting, so should we. Now, that was what, that's what we did last week. Um, uh, creation groans, I don't know how to write this, uh, creation groans and waits, um, and so should we. In terms of we groan, but we wait as well, uh, in, in response to suffering. Now, but you see that, and it becomes clear, at least I hope, uh, really beginning in verse 23. Let's start there, and we'll read through verse 25. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance." Now, guys, go back up to verse 23, because that's where, um, that's where he begins to make, that's where he begins to make this application. In verses 19 through 22, he's talking about a groaning creation. He begins in verse 23 and says, okay, not only that, that is, not only is creation groaning, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan. Within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the Do you see how, what he's done? He has, he has told you something that creation is doing, and he's saying, but creation's not the only thing. The creation is experiencing uh, pangs of childbirth. It's experiencing the, uh, the, the, the effects of the fall. But we are too. Um, and, and he goes on 
within, we grow within ourselves eagerly waiting. So we're doing the same thing that creation is doing, or at least should be. We're waiting for the redemption of our body, whereas creation is waiting for this redemption as well. Guys, um, you will notice that we are described in verse 23 as people who are waiting. Christians are in a posture of waiting. We don't do that very well, but that's the way that you're being described, or we're being described, as people who are waiting. We are waiting for something. Um, Though though we ourselves are redeemed, the text says, um, we're waiting for the redemption of our body. We are safe spiritually, but there is, there is another dimension that is not yet being enjoyed. We're awaiting the redemption of our body. We are groaning, but we are waiting for this consummation of glory. We're redeemed, but our bodies aren't, and we're waiting for that. But guys, my, my, uh, my simple point is we don't wait very well. And that's why, I mean, we have, um, that's why suffering so overcomes us. It throws us. It's a, it's an enormous stumbling block for us. But Paul says that the, that the proper response is that we be reminded that we, like the creation, we're waiting. We're waiting for the redemption of that which has not yet been fully redeemed, and that's our bodies. Look at verse 23 with me. Let me just try to, um, he says a couple of things about the first fruits of the Spirit, for instance. Um, at this later time, at this uh, redemption, Christians will enjoy all of, the rep- all of the privileges of this redemption, but not yet. But we do have the first fruits. We have the first fruits of the Spirit now, which is a pledge of something greater, something larger. And, but yet... While we wait, we groan. Even Jesus groaned, guys. He groans in John 11. Um, we're waiting the redemption of our bodies, where our bodies will one time be, or at one point be, beyond all danger, beyond all temptation. I, I will say this. It does say that our future, our future existence is going to include our body. I don't know how you um, tend to think of eternity, but it's going to include your body. There's going to be a bodily dimension to this redemptive, this consummation of redemption. And then in verse 24, he says, we were saved in this hope. Now, some of your translations may have something different than that. Um, You were saved by hope. Um, I think you would be well advised to translate it differently, that we are saved in hope. Um, Even though the whole creation groans, including us, the Christian is spared from a hopeless existence because we we are to be a people of hope. Guys, one of the characteristics of the Christian's experience is that we are a people of hope. Um, we, are, we, we can avoid hopelessness, which is not true of everybody, but the Christian ought to. It, it's, not, um, it's not some posture of positive thinking or um, uh, hoping. It, it's, a, 
it's a it's a promise that God has made that we hope in. <laughs> Promises that there is a consummation that awaits us. Um, we're not spared the groaning, but in the midst of the groaning, we are told that there is a time coming where all the groaning will stop. That's the hope that's being alluded to here, guys. The salvation that you and I now possess is incomplete. Um, hope always um, is, is something that fixes our attention and our eyes on something future. The salvation that you are now in possession of is not consummated. It's not complete. The Christian is somebody who is hoping for things that he does not yet have. And he does not yet see. We anticipate something. We anticipate a fuller dimension. We, we anticipate God's fullest redemption. Uh, and, and that's going to include our bodies. And, and that means, guys, that, that our groaning is not meaningless. The present groaning is not meaningless, but it's a part of the redemptive plan of God. It's woven into the plan that God has for His people. Uh, he's already given us the first fruits of His Spirit, and because He has, we can wait. We can wait like the creation. We can wait for this this promised consummation. Now, I would uh, um, want you to see that Paul makes a difference between hope and faith. Uh, what's the difference in hope and faith? Uh, he makes that distinction in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, in the last text it says, and, um, and now faith, hope, and love, these... Hope is different than faith, guys. Faith is something that looks back to the completed work of Christ. Hope is that thing that the Christian has that puts him on his tiptoes as he looks forward to the completion and all the benefits of that work of Christ. Faith is the thing that precedes hope. Faith is the stuff that allows for hope. Faith is the stuff that leads to hope. Because faith connects us to the finished work of Christ that is not yet completely enjoyed by us. And so we're saved in hope. We have a faith that I hope for a future consummation. There is an expectancy that is supposed to be true about us. And that expectancy, guys, is something that should help us respond properly to suffering. There's another dimension that you don't have. All of the things that we do enjoy now, the first fruits of the Spirit, this, this sense of forgiveness, this sense of adoption, this sense of uh, union with Christ, that is, that is a marvelous dimension to our lives. But there's something that you don't have. You are in possession of an incomplete salvation at this point. There is something else. And it will include the redemption of your bodies. You groan now, we all groan now. But there is a promise that says there is coming. We are awaiting a time where even the bodies will be included in this whole redemptive scheme. And that's what hope looks to. That's what hope stands up on its tiptoes to gaze at. This final dimension that you have not yet enjoyed.
The point of verses 24 and 25, guys. We're going to look a little bit at 25. But the, the point of those two verses is to show that the sufferings of a Christian is in no way inconsistent with one's reality as a Christian. You know, if you've ever been through a period of suffering, is that not one of the first things that Satan suggests? That in the midst of our, uh, our big problems, we begin to wonder whether we're real. You begin to wonder if you're the, uh, really a saved man or woman. Well, your suffering is not inconsistent. It is a part of the whole redemptive plan of God. And in the midst of it, you are called to wait. And the thing that enables you to wait is the first fruit of the Spirit that allows you to hope in this other thing that is in the future awaiting you, which will also include that broken down body of yours. Not only the broken downness of it, but its tendency and its love for sin. You're going to be set free from that too. Um, Verse 24, uh, that, that second sentence is really, really it goes without saying. It simply is stating hope that is seen is not hope. Anything that is tangibly visible, you don't have to hope in. You see it. For why does one still hope for what he sees? He doesn't have to hope. Hope is something that we don't see. We are hoping in something that we don't see. Um, but if we, verse 25, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it. We wait for it with perseverance. And that's the Christian's response to suffering, guys. We, are, uh, we, we weigh the difference between present sufferings and eternal uh, felicity and bliss. We are reminded that the creation is also waiting alongside us. And just like it, we too groan alongside the creation. But it's waiting for a consummation and so are we. And thus... We are saved from meaningless existence, from a hopeless existence in hope. Suffering is not and should not be meaningless for us. There is nothing negative about our groaning. Or at least it should be a redemptive time that, that reminds us of what awaits us. Our, our waiting and our enduring has at it as its end a promise of a, of a completed a fulfilled, a, consumma- a, a, a consummated uh, redemption that not only includes your spirit, but your body as well. Now, guys, um, um, how do I say this? This is not exactly common uh, Christian experience, is it? I mean, when we're suffering, this is usually not what we're doing. And we're usually not uh, in the midst of our grief and suffering uh, talking about how much we're looking for the deliverance of this body, uh, remembering that the creation groans. We, we, we don't. That's what Paul is teaching, I think. But that's not usually how we're responding. How do you come to the place? How do you get to the place that you that one of the methods by which you make it through suffering is looking forward to a consummation of the of redemption? I mean, how do you get there? How does a Christian um, learn the serenity or develop a serenity in the midst of his suffering? I want to suggest a couple of things, and I'm going to quit. Um, Guys, um, 
one of the one of the struggles, <laughs> one of the problems that everybody in this room, all of us, all of us have, is that I think we have bought into, we have been captivated by a by an approach to life that doesn't serve us too well, particularly in suffering. Um, let, let me let me let me give you a little story. Maybe this will help. Um, Sunday night in our grace group, um, we're, we're doing Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, there is a, when Pilgrim, Pilgrim, you know, is the guy that leaves the city of destruction and he heads off to the, the celestial city. And um, on, on his way to the celestial city, he comes to the cross, his burden rolls off, and he's a saved man. And while he's there, he meets with three shining ones, and one of the shining ones um, gives him a role. I, I don't. If you ever read Pilgrim's Progress, does this ring? He gives him a role, and and Bunyan defines the role as his assurance of his salvation. All right, are you with me? Stay with me. Um, on his way up the hill of difficulty, he finds this little arbor where he lays, sits down to rest, and unfortunately, he falls asleep, which he knew he shouldn't fall asleep, but he falls asleep, and while he's asleep. His role, which is his assurance of his own spiritual safety, rolls out of his hand and he loses it. And so as he continues to progress forward up the hill of difficulty, he realizes that he doesn't have his role. And, and everything in his soul begins to erupt because he's, he's separated from that confidence of who he is. He's climbing up the rail of difficulty, you know. He's experiencing some kind of difficulty. But he is ill-equipped to climb that hill because he's lost this. Now, what was it that led him to lose this? It was he went to sleep when he wasn't supposed to. He neglected the maintenance of his soul and as a result... Climbing up the hill of difficulty completely threw him off balance spiritually. Everything collapsed for him spiritually in the midst of difficulty because he had neglected his soul. That's my point. I'm saying to you guys, this is so hard on us. Much harder than it should be. Because we've neglected our soul. How, how, how do you come to the place where you... And I, I don't mean to make light of anybody's difficulty or anybody's suffering. But how do we stride through it better than we do now? I'm, I, I'm simply saying one of the ways that is ruining us is the neglect over our own souls. Folks, um, you're really not the audience I probably should even be speaking to. But, folks, do you think that the neglect of your soul means nothing to your ongoing well-being? Um, if we... Um, if we allow other things to crowd out the, the, the concern and maintenance of our own souls, do you think that there's not going to be any consequence of such a thing? You know, um, 
You've heard of the means of grace, haven't you? We talk about the means of grace a lot around. The means of grace are the things that God um, leaves. It's a, it's a strategy that God has given us so that we can maintain our souls. You know what the means of grace are. Bible study and prayer and fellowship and suffering and giving. You know, the, the means of grace. You've heard of that before, I hope. Now, now, now listen. You are never going to be um, made holy by the means of grace. But you are never going to be made holy without them. One's approach to maintaining his own soul is, um, is not formulaic. Do this, do that, do the other, yada, 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 yada. Uh, divorced from the power of the Holy Spirit, all that little formula will not help you. But ladies and gentlemen... It is via these things that God the Holy Spirit does minister to our souls. Do we think that we can neglect these things and it not have any consequence for us? Oh, yes, it will. Guys, just like Pilgrim's Neglect of his soul turned him upside down as he faced difficulty. So will it you. One, what I'm saying is, one of the ways that we find that we pass through these times at least a tad more successfully is that we maintain our souls. We must not neglect. Because, folks... This is, you're gonna, we're gonna be in a hill of difficulty sooner or later. You're either in one now or you're about to get to one or you just left one. And, and, um, that's when our neglect is gonna show up. And, and, and these things that were intended to remind us of the great consummation of our salvation and redemption and the hope and all that business, none of that registers to us. None of that comes to our consciousness. None of this makes any sense. Oh, I don't know what Jimmy's teaching up there. That stuff sounds like a bunch of hooey to me. I don't know. Why is that? I'll tell you why. We've neglected our souls. And, and we, we find things that will crowd out any maintenance of, of our own spiritual health. Gang, you need to study your Bibles. Don't neglect that. You can't neglect that. You can't neglect that. Do we think that we're going to get away with that kind of... And, and by the way, I'm not... Are there not going to be any consequences? I'm not talking about God judging you. I'm just saying when the soul is sick, when the soul's not healthy, when the soul's not fed, this will destroy us. And whereas the Apostle Paul, he doesn't glide through it, and I don't think any of us are going to glide through it. But one of the reasons that it is more hard than it ought to be is because we're, we're sick. We're not healthy. We've neglected the very things that God has given us. You know, um, somebody said this in my office uh, a couple of years ago. Um, um, 
Eric Alexander. Does that ring a bell? Anybody remember the name Eric Alexander? Eric Alexander is a, he's Scottish or something like that. And he was speaking for a week of services at Second Presbyterian Church. And um, he started on, he spoke on Sunday morning and then Sunday night. And then he was going to, he was going to speak on Monday night and then every night through Friday. And, and, um, and he said, um, <laughs> um, I, I, somebody said this, and I'm just quoting them this morning, but he said, I'm glad to, that, in that great Scottish brogue, he says, I'm glad to see you here on Monday night. I know that uh, there will be yada, yada, yada on Tuesday night, et cetera, and, and, that, and Wednesday night we'll be doing this, and Thursday night we'll see you here, and Friday night we'll, yada, yada. So he's, he's going over the schedule for the week, and then he pauses and he says something like this. He says, um, I, um, I know this may be some degree inconvenient, however... There is a whole lot more grace to be had here than uh, while watching the West Wing. Apparently, the West Wing comes on on Wednesday night or something. Does the West Wing come on Wednesday nights? I'm pretty busy on Wednesday nights. But, but, but do you see the principle? We choose between studying the Word or West Wing and wonder why... Why does life so overthrow me? Well, ladies and gentlemen, you look at a lifetime of West Wing and avoid studying your, your Bible, and I'm telling you. And I'm not talking about my Bible, this Bible study. I'm just talking about the maintenance of your soul. You will never be made holy via coming to church and, and studying your Bible and praying. And you'll never, apart from the Holy Spirit, but you'll never be made holy without them either. It's a fundamental plan that God has in place so that we can maintain the health of our souls. Neglect it, and all kinds of things are going to go rolling away. And we're going to be overturned again and again because we're just not healthy. And we're not healthy because we've chosen to neglect. We've chosen to neglect. I think this whole argument, which I tried to make somewhat clear, is so foreign to every one of us. This is, this is something to which none of us can relate. You've got to have somebody like the soul of Paul to think like this. Why can't we relate to this? Why can't we relate to, you know, uh, groaning creations and... And um, the day of redemptions and the body and all. You know, that stuff just zip. I think at least part of the reason is that we neglect our souls in the interest of numerous other things. I promise you. I promise you. Um, was it, was it, I think it was Susie who may have said this last night. I forget who said it. But um, you know the story. You know the story about Nicodemus. You know I saw that tree that Nicodemus climbed up in right outside of Jericho. At least they tell you that. 
Um, they tell you that tree is the one that Nicodemus climbed up in. That's nonsense. Um, you know, that tree's been gone for 500 years or so. But anyway, um, they show you that tree, and you get out of the bus, and you take the pictures of this big old tree right outside of Jericho, and, you know, that's where Nicodemus was. Well, you know, you know, you, you know the story. Nicodemus was a wee little man. A wee little... That's what I mean. Thank you. I, I, should, have, I should have trusted my Baptist friends to... Uh, yeah, Zacchaeus, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, uh, yeah, he's in the Old Testament, wasn't he? <laughs> okay, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, uh, is in the, he's the wee little guy, and he, he's, um, he's going to find himself a tree because uh, he's going to climb up a tree. He's a little guy, can't see, and he's going to climb up a tree. He's going to see Jesus. So uh, he heard something about Jesus going right past here, and so he wanted to get to the place where he could see Jesus because he knew Jesus was going to be passing by and he didn't want to miss it. I want to tell you something. I know where Jesus is tonight. He's in here somewhere. He's passing by in here. And, And he's passing by back there in the junior high and the senior high. And I don't know whether you'll get him. I don't know whether you'll see him. But I'm telling you, out of 52 weeks, I bet you will. What do you think will nourish and maintain and, and enliven the soul more? West Wing or being in the place that possibly Jesus might walk by. Not every, not all 52 of them. But maybe... One out of the 52. Gang, we cannot, I plead with you, we cannot with impunity. No, that's not the right word because I don't, I don't want to try to. We cannot without consequence fail to maintain our souls. We can't. And where our Failures to maintain will show up oh so hugely. Let's quit. Our Father, I do pray that you will remind your people that we are in great need of a a, a thoroughgoing labor over our souls, that our souls are so vital and important that attention must be drawn to them on a regular basis. That the world in its 24-hour-a-day assault on the bastion of our souls takes a toll. And we must put ourselves in a place where Jesus is going to be walking by in the hope that we might get a glimpse of Him. Just every now and then, get a glimpse of him. Oh, what glory that might be. If every now and then, Jesus might walk by our chair in the pew that I'm sitting on. And we might find a great refreshment for our souls. Father, um, 
we have all neglected and we have all um, seen the consequences of the neglect. So I pray that you will remind us of the great need so that we might um, patiently wait in hope for the consummation of redemption. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night.